Talk 6. Sin. Contemplative prayer is the only work that by itself destroys the root and ground of sin. In the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 7, we read, Let anyone among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Challenged by Jesus to carry out the law by stoning an adulterous woman to death, his opponents find themselves unable to accept Jesus' test. Their shame and hypocrisy had been exposed, so they quietly retreated. Who among you is without sin? asked Jesus of us too. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us, St. John says. 1 John chapter 1 verse 8 But what is sin? Breaking the commandments? Trespassing over the boundary of acceptable behaviour? Erring and straying? Missing the mark? Rebellion against God? Failure of conscience? Embracing evil? Many such words and phrases come to mind. They may all be found in Scripture. We need first to recognise that sin cannot be understood by the secular mind. Sin is not just a moral but a religious and spiritual concept. Our sins and moral failures are particular instances or symptoms of our spiritual sickness, our spiritual disease. For religious people throughout history, sin is the greatest barrier to be overcome if we are to find God and true peace of mind. Christian teaching is that Christ died for our sins because he was innocent and without sin and therefore could be the perfect and unique mediator between the holy and righteous God and sinful humanity. The cloud author takes sin utterly seriously, but like all good spiritual directors then and now, he treats it in a balanced way. He is not excessively moralistic, but on the other hand he is not lax or permissive. So he advises a young contemplative novice, fill your spirit with the spiritual import of the word sin, he writes the word here in capital letters, but he continues to say, I paraphrase, don't concern yourself with thinking whether you've committed a serious deadly sin or a pardonable sin, for to contemplatives, he says, all sins seem equally great. Even the smallest sins separate us from God and hold us back from spiritual peace. So here is the significance of sin. Sin is the chief obstacle between erring humanity and the holy and righteous God. It is what stunts our spiritual growth, what prevents us from becoming the people by God's grace we have the potential to be. So what is the remedy for sin? In a memorable phrase, the author tells his readers to feel sin like a lump. Chapter 36. What does he mean by this word lump? The word lump may perhaps suggest an unwanted tumour or growth in the body, whether benign or malignant, small or great. The lump or tumour needs to be removed, cut out. So it is with sin, it is like a lump in the soul preventing healthy growth. Our author urges his readers, as they become aware of their sin, to shout continuously in spirit, Sin! 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 Out! 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 This shout from the heart is his best learned by experience and for any human being by word. So he advises his readers not to waste time focusing their attention on their particular shortcomings, but to look upwards and constantly to recall God's love and grace. Once again, his essential point is that thinking about God or thinking about our sins cannot bring us an inch closer to God. Only one action could do that. 
Only the offering of a humble stirring of love can break through the cloud of unknowing to bring us to oneness with God. For always we need to bear in mind the central truth, God cannot be grasped by thought, only by love. Once again we turn to our author's favourite bit of the Bible and his model saint Mary of Bethany, whom, as was common in his day, he mistakenly identified as Mary Magdalene and also as the unnamed woman who came off the streets to wash Jesus' feet with her hair. He saw Jesus' disciple Mary as the very best example of a forgiven sinner, one who had, in his words, a deep heartfelt sorrow for her sins, yet one whose deepest sorrow was not for her sins, but as she felt for her lack of love for God, although in fact, as our author remarks, she had an abundance of love. So with a profound insight, he says, It is the nature of a true lover that the more he loves, the more he longs to love. It is the nature of a true lover that the more he loves, the more he longs to love. So he appeals to our human experience, the way in which as we yearn to give and to receive love more deeply, love grows and grows. He then puts his finger on the futility and absurdity of getting agitated by morbidly and introspectively thinking about our sins. He asks his pointed question, did Mary come down from the height of her yearning to love God into the depths of her sinful life and search in the stinking fen and dungle of her sins, sorting them one by one in every detail and sorrowing and weeping for each of them separately? No, he says, she certainly did not. From that way, he says, she was more likely to have aroused in herself the possibility of sinning again than to have obtained complete forgiveness of her sins. In other words, he's saying, obsessive attention to our sins is counterproductive. It may simply stimulate the imagination and so increase the temptation. Now we come to the clouds, what I think is his most liberating teaching on sin. Contemplative prayer, he says, is the only work, the only activity that by itself destroys the root and ground of sin. Do not, he says, imagine for a moment by taking up a self-denying lifestyle, getting up very early in the morning, staying awake late in the night, sleeping on the floor, wearing a hair shirt. By none of these things, admirable though they may be, will you ever be brought into union with God. Even your prayerful devotion, centred as they may be on Christ's passion, though good and beneficial, will not achieve that goal. No, he says, there's only one thing and one thing only that will bring you into unity with God, and that is that blind movement of love. Without that insistent and regular impulse of love, none of these acts of self-denial will bring you any benefit. The important thing to grasp is this. It is only in the continuing practice of contemplative prayer that God works through us to bring healing to our fragmented, sick and damaged selves. Contemplative prayer is the only work that by itself destroys the root and ground of sin.